0: Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 146. Before we start, I'd like to thank Tim Danaher, or is it Tim Dinar? I hope I'm not butchering your name after you were good enough to support the show. Uh, But I'd like to thank him for supporting the show through Patreon. Uh, Thank you, sir. I appreciate it greatly. So now we got Tim and Heresy. Uh, So if you're interested, Tim, don't forget that you should now be able to stream or download The Brief History of St. Patrick Audio Documentary. Uh, Just check out my activity and you should see the post. Uh, The file is only accessible to those who have donated. And speaking of the audio documentary, I'm still trying to figure out what to do As I turn some of these holiday specials into documentaries that I then sell on iTunes or give away as Patreon rewards, what do I do with the originals? Do I leave them in the podcast archives where anyone can access them for free? Uh, Is that an insult to the people that paid for them or earned them as quote-unquote rewards? Uh, There will be some differences. I'll further edit and polish the uh, paid versions, and they'll include album art uh, that I've created myself. But still, I don't know. First World Problems? I hate the phrase First World Problems, and yet I just used it. (laughs) Okay. Seems like whenever someone online complains about a problem or inconvenience uh, with, uh, say, technology, there's always some sarcastic, self-righteous person who goes, First World Problems, (laughs) like they're trying to guilt you. Uh, Is it still a First World Problem now that they have uh, iPhones in India? You're telling me no one in India has ever complained about a glitchy uh, iOS update or something? (laughs) But anyway, uh, I digress. And another thing before we get started. I know I usually don't talk about politics on the show unless it uh, directly involves religion or something like that. But I was watching Diane Sawyer's epic uh, Bruce Jenner interview last night where he uh, came out as transgender. And I actually found him pretty sympathetic and likable. Up until the point where, in passing, uh, he says he's a Republican or a conservative. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that in and of itself, but he seemed to obnoxiously imply that conservatives believe in the Constitution, uh, like others, maybe liberals or progressives, um, don't. Uh, Myself, I like to think of myself as kind of an independent who leans fairly heavily progressive, I guess. You know, the separation of church and state seemed to be pretty important to the Founding Fathers, but your average right-wing Christian politician doesn't seem to mind trying to uh, blur that line. Uh, I guess in fairness to Bruce Jenner, he didn't explicitly say progressives don't believe in the Constitution, but he did seem to imply it. Uh, I believe Diane Sawyer asked him if he was a Republican, and his words were something like, What's wrong with that? I believe in the constitution. Uh, <laughs> then Diane Sawyer asked him if he'd be willing to go to high ranking Republican politicians or leaders like Mitch McConnell or John Boehner and ask them to support his cause being, uh, you know, transgender rights. And he enthusiastically said, yeah. And, um, and he, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's probably pretty close to what he actually said. He said he thought they'd be very receptive. And I was thinking, what world are you living in? You think Mitch McConnell and John Boehner, these staunch conservative leaders, uh, Turtle Man and Orange Face, are going to help you with uh, transgender rights? you got to be kidding me. I mean, you never know. Maybe they'd at least talk to him or her because he or she is a celebrity. Uh, But anyway, now this next story is one I've unfortunately been leaving on the back burner for uh, almost two weeks now. Many of you have probably already heard about it. It concerns a Tennessee mom who happens to be an atheist Uh, who's received threats after complaining about a figure named Bible Man who had been coming to her kid's school. Uh, But I'll read a little bit about it from a Raw Story article. A Tennessee mom said she and her child have been threatened after they complained about quote-unquote Bible Man visits to her son's school. The Christian-themed superhero character, played by Horace Turner, has been visiting Grundy County schools for nearly 40 years, but the atheist mom contacted a rational secular group over her concerns, reported WRCB-TV. The Freedom From Religion Foundation sent a letter on behalf of the woman, who asked to remain anonymous in news reports, questioning the constitutionality of the in-school visits. While some Christian evangelizers come as wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, this wolf comes dressed as a wolf, the group said in a letter. Bible man's overtly religious and proselytizing messages are explicit. Turner leads students in Bible reading, sets up baby Jesus displays at school, preaches in sermons that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and distributes religious literature, the group said. He's has also spoken at schools in Alabama, but Tennessee state officials recently promised to end Turner's visits to elementary schools. The Grundy County mother said her son, who is an atheist like his parents, was not initially aware the lessons were optional. As he got older, it bothered him that he had to sit through this because it's not his religion, his mother said. The school district suspended Bible man's visits for now, although administrators hope he will return on a quote-unquote club schedule, which would allow students to choose whether to participate. I believe the perception was that we are trying to get rid of him, and that was not the perception we wanted to present, said Willie Childers, the interim superintendent. The atheist mother said she received threats involving her son on Facebook, including a photo of a burning house. We don't want people to be mad. We just want people to make sure there's an alternative, something for kids to do, she said. We just can't get over how much hate there is in their loving Christian hearts, she added. And the article doesn't go into more detail about the nature of the uh, Facebook uh, post, but here's that post that they alluded to. And keep in mind, the person included a picture of a burning house with this post. So on her Facebook page, they wrote, he was an outsider and against the Bible man coming to our schools. So we threw him a housewarming party. Very clever. So obviously that Facebook post is deeply disturbing, not to mention hypocritical. Doesn't sound very Christian to me although it does have kind of a barbaric Old Testament feel to it. And there's something so perverse about threatening to burn down someone's home, if not burn the person his or herself, over quote-unquote Bible man. Uh, Now, I know this was some kind of tradition, and supposedly kids could opt out, but it's the year 2015. Our schools are supposed to be melting pots filled with students from a variety of religious and, uh, Ethnic or cultural backgrounds. So, the idea of having these overtly religious assemblies in what I imagine is a public school, when kids can probably just as easily have these kind of events maybe at Sunday school or at church or something like that. And I thought, and you know, maybe you might say, well, isn't there room to compromise? I mean, The article did say that um, supposedly parents were allowed to let their children opt out of these quote-unquote Bible man events, and even the atheist mom seemed to be saying that she didn't want to try to get the events discontinued completely or something like that. But one thing to keep in mind is, I think I read this in a different article, is that supposedly... Kids who didn't take part were kind of made to feel self-conscious about it, or or they felt ostracized. So I mean, the easiest solution to me would be, you know, okay? You can have your Bible Man events, but why not do it on uh, Sundays or as some kind of church-related event that's not in connection to the public school system? But anyway, bottom line: don't threaten to burn people. <laughs> Okay, so next up is a story about one of my favorite spooky topics, the uh, Shroud of Turin. So yeah, yeah, I'm a skeptic, and non-believer, etc., etc., but I was raised Catholic, and I've had a fascination with this thing since I was a kid. If you're not familiar, and I'm not going to rattle off a list of dates, etc., I'm just going to give you a general idea of what the Shroud is uh, off the top of my head. Very early on uh, in the history of the show, I did a lengthy episode uh, on the Shroud. If I remember correctly, it actually may have been a 2 potter But the Shroud of Turin is named uh, for where it's housed or displayed, which would be Turin, Italy. And it's supposedly uh, the burial cloth that wrapped the body of Christ. Uh, so it's a long rectangular uh, piece of linen, uh, I think with some kind of herring bone uh, style weave or something like that, uh, with the faint image of a man on it. When you unfold it, you can see an image of the back of the figure as well. And this will kind of play into one of my main reasons for doubting the uh, Shroud's authenticity that I'll talk about later. So once again, outstretched, you can see the front and the back of a figure laid out in such a way that the two sides almost look like two separate figures almost touching at the head, uh, one offering a frontal view, the other a uh, dorsal view, I guess I would call it. That kind of makes uh sound like I'm talking about a dolphin or something. But uh, now the image is kind of a brownish or sepia or ochre, I guess. And as I said, it's really faint. So you almost have to strain to make out the detail at first. And now here's what really blew people's minds. In the late uh, 19th century, uh, an Italian photographer named Secundo Pia took a picture of the shroud. And when he looked at the negative he was shocked by what he saw. Instead of a faint brown image, he saw a very detailed image that almost looked like an x-ray. It depicted a man in a burial pose covered with wounds that seemed to be in keeping with the uh, gospel accounts of the um, the crucifixion or what we would call the, uh, the passion story. Holes in the wrists and feet, tiny lacerations from a supposed crown of thorns, and injuries consistent with those inflicted by a kind of Roman whip known as a flagrum, Kind of like this multi-tongued weapon with little uh, metal barbells uh, at the end. In the late 70s, a scientific team known as STERP, the uh, Shroud of uh, Turin Research Project, was granted access to the shroud. Now, if memory serves me correctly, Sterp was ultimately unable to explain the mechanism by which the image formed on the shroud. I think traces of art pigments such as red ochre and uh, was it vermilion were found on the shroud, but on a surface level not consistent with the level of sa- saturation you'd expect if it were a painting. A sample was taken and subjected to radiocarbon dating, And oh, no, everyone was crestfallen. The carbon dating uh, results came back and indicated that the shroud only dates back to the Middle Ages. And more specifically to around the time it first becomes mentioned in in recorded history. So you would think end of story, right? Well, no, there were plenty of people who still wanted to believe and who tried to point to other examples where carbon dating uh, results had supposedly been inaccurate. In fairness, it does seem that there may have been a problem with the shroud's carbon dating results. It turns out that the uh, sample of the cloth that was used for testing may have actually come from a patch where the shroud had been repaired. The shroud been damaged in a fire long ago, and then in the recent past, uh, the shroud was saved from a fire yet again. Uh, you can probably find footage of the uh, "quote unquote" rescue online. It's kind of surreal seeing uh, you know modern firefighters carrying this uh, ancient relic. I think it was in a uh, like a box or a case at the time. this idea of the carbon dating being skewed isn't just some fringe theory. One of the more skeptical members of STERP shortly before passing away, and uh, I apologize for forgetting his name, but he did a final interview for a fellow member of STERP named uh, Barry Schwartz, where he spoke uh, openly about how it does look like the sample came from a patch or, or something like that. It's funny, I actually corresponded with Barry Schwartz years ago, and he was really nice. He replied to my email right away and was really engaging. I had seen a documentary in which this lady put forth this really weird hypothesis that maybe the Shroud was basically a drawing or painting that someone had done in Jesus's tomb while using Jesus's body as a kind of reference or still life. No pun intended. So I emailed Barry Schwartz saying the theory didn't make sense to me because the ancient Jews were supposedly forbidden from making graven images or creating uh, the artistic representation of, uh, of a human being. And uh, he agreed with me. And it's interesting, Barry Schwartz, as you might have guessed from his surname, is Jewish, and yet he's a really passionate shroud investigator, uh, dare I even say a shroud proponent. When you listen to him speak about it, you can hear this almost infectious enthusiasm in his voice. Um, but anyway, as so as far as the carbon dating goes, uh, that's where things stand. You have scientists with differing opinions going back and forth on whether or not the original carbon uh, tests were skewed. Does it or doesn't it really only go back to the Middle Ages? Uh, some people try to stretch the appearance of the shroud even further back by by connecting it with other quote-unquote miraculous uh, cloths, such as the mandillion, which I think uh, translates to little towel. I don't know why I'm laughing, it's just not funny about the uh, phrase little towel, or something like that. There's a story that predates the Middle Ages by centuries that tells of a a king of Edessa being hailed by miraculous cloth. The mandillion in art was usually depicted as rectangular with a kind of oval opening through which the image of a man's face was visible. Uh, the theory is that the mandilion may have actually been the shroud folded up with an opening to, to display the face. Then there's another, uh, Relic. I'm trying to think if it dates back to like the 9th or 10th century. I'm working off the top of my head. But it's it's a relic from Spain known as the uh, Sudarium of Oviedo, uh, which is supposedly a smaller cloth that, according to legend, was wrapped around the head of Jesus after his death. Supposedly the wounds on the Sudarium match up with the wounds on the shroud, or so they say. So then there's the problem of uh, the so-called encoded image. How is it that the shroud looks faint to the naked eye, but reveals all this incredible detail when viewed as a photographic negative? They've done tests where they've used 3D imaging technology to create a kind of relief map of the shroud, and the results look like the 3D image of a man's face. But when you try the same technique on a painting or a photograph, uh, some kind of, you know, 2D image, the result looks like a jumbled mess. So skeptics and believers are still trying to figure out the exact mechanism through which the image formed. Believers think the image was formed by a kind of release of divine energy that accompanied the uh, resurrection. And uh, this is where my biggest issue with the shroud comes up. the Shroud shows us this detailed image of a man with a well-proportioned outline. But if it was really created by a powerful release of energy, should the image be distorted? Because the energy, the energy would have, uh, I imagine, radiated out in all directions, capturing an image not just of the front and back, but the sides as well. So, when you unfold the image, shouldn't it look distorted? The, the tops of the uh of the heads of the front and rear image should be touching the head and body should look much wider than normal because we're seeing the uh, outstretched sides. Uh, if that makes sense. I guess what I'm saying is uh we should just see kind of a perfect outline of a human body as if someone you know drew the image. If energy really bursted out in all directions and then the shroud was tightly wrapped around Jesus' body, it should have left an image of the sides of the body as well. So when you unfold the, the cloth, the image should look really distorted and extra wide, I guess. I think one of the better skeptical theories I've seen was put forward by, uh, is it Joel Nickel or Nichols? Uh, I think his name is. Um, Really kind of a high profile skeptic that used to see a lot on uh, TV documentaries, debunking stuff. He conjectured that the image may have been created by wrapping a cloth around a shallow bas-relief and then painting or using some other medium to create the image by going over the cloth-wrapped statue. Um, I believe this method may have yielded a uh, 3D imaging result more in keeping with the uh, shroud. It was either nickels or uh, there was a, a similar experiment where they basically baked a cloth that was wrapped around a statue and got a similar result with the same characteristically uh, brownish coloration. There's a lot of theories out there, some more fringe than others regarding how the shroud was made. Some people think a real cadaver might have been used. Others think a uh, camera obscura may have been employed, resulting in a kind of big uh, medieval photograph. I'm trying to think... um, there's a major Renaissance artist that some kind of French people try to suggest uh, may have made the uh, the shroud. Um, I'm trying. To th- I think off the top of my head, maybe it was uh, Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo. I'm thinking da Vinci though, uh, but that's another uh, French theory, and they think he, I, I believe, may have used a uh, camera obscura which is basically, I want to say crude, but it would actually be kind of ingenious, you know, th- this kind of uh, crude camera. I think I actually heard uh, that wacky dude, I forget his name, from coast to coast to AM, suggest that maybe Christ wasn't the Jewish Messiah as we uh, think of him or as the devout think of him, but one of these supposed ascended or ascendant masters um and when he resuscitated, he left the image on the Shroud. But he was just one of many uh, ascended people with these kind of magical powers. Nutty stuff. But you guys know my worldview. I'm a skeptic. But as I was saying, I've nevertheless been fascinated with the Shroud you know, since I was a kid. I can remember... Um, being probably like elementary school age, and one of my older brothers used to keep a little card with a uh, picture of the Shroud image on it tucked into his bedroom mirror. I'd sneak in there, and uh, it would always kind of scare me but fascinate me at the same time. Then also, there used to be this old show called uh, In Search Of, and it was hosted by the late uh, Leonard Nimoy, Uh, and reruns were on TV of it when I was a little kid. And they investigated a bunch of paranormal and occult topics, and they did an episode on the Shroud, and it always stuck with me. But the reason why I'm talking about all this is because apparently the Shroud is going on tour. Or uh, rather, the Shroud is staying in one place, and the pilgrims are coming to it. Uh, So display might be a better word than tour, but it's kind of a funny idea. Um, But I'll read a little bit from a HuffPost article, and it looks like this is by Carol Curavilla. The Shroud of Turin goes on display in an Italian cathedral. The Shroud of Turin is back. Believers and skeptics alike have another chance to see the controversial Christian relic, which went on display in Turin, Italy this Sunday, ending a five year hiatus from the spotlight. And uh, what is this dated? Just to give you some reference, this is dated uh, the 20th of uh, April. Some say the 14-foot piece of linen is Christ's burial cloth. They point to what appears to be the imprinted image of a man bearing wounds from a crucifixion. Others say the whole thing is a medieval forgery. Regardless, the Shroud has remained a wildly popular attraction for pilgrims from around the world. More than 1 million visitors have already reserved tickets online to see the Shroud, according to Turin the last public viewing of the shroud was in 2010 pope francis will be among those making a pilgrimage to turin to pray he scheduled a private viewing with his italian relatives on uh, june 21st that says in 1988 researchers from three universities conducted carbon 14 testing on of the relic the researchers dated fibers from the shroud to the years 1260 and 1390 more than a thousand years after christ's crucifixion A decade after the researchers' carbon tests, Anastasio Alberto Balestro, who had been Turin's Cardinal Archbishop in 1988, called the results of these tests a quote-unquote overseas Masonic plot meant to discredit the Roman Catholic Church. In a 2011 book, British scholar Charles Freeman suggested that the shroud was created for medieval Easter rituals. The earliest mention of the shroud he could find was in 1355, when the cloth was displayed at a chapel in Larry, France. On Easter morning, the gospel accounts of the resurrection would be reenacted with disciples acting out a presentation in which they would enter a makeshift tomb and bring out the grave clothes to show that Christ had indeed risen, Freeman told the Guardian. Italy's former royal family, the House of Savoy, acquired the Shroud in 1453. Freeman says the family converted the cloth into a high-prestige relic in order to bolster the kingdom's reputation. In spite of skeptics, faith still plays an important role in how many people see the Shroud today. Yes, I believe in it. I believe in it with my heart. Marco Mazzoni, an Italian who is scheduled to see the Shroud in May, told the Guardian. It signifies the suffering of Christ and the sacrifice he made for everyone. The Catholic Church doesn't have an official stance on the Shroud's authenticity. In fact, each of the past three popes have carefully skirted the subject, according to the Catholic news site Crux. Instead, the popes have emphasized the Shroud is a reminder of Christ's passion. But there you have it. Uh, I know the majority uh, of uh, my listeners are uh, probably uh, fellow skeptics and non-believers, so I'm sure you've probably had your fill of uh, listening to me talk about the Shroud of Turin. Uh, But with that being said, uh, I guess I'll call this uh, episode a wrap. Oh, and I want to quickly mention something I've been meaning to get around to uh, for a while now. Some of you guys had requested that I set up a phone line for uh, taking listener uh, calls or feedback. And I mentioned it a while back now, probably a couple of months or more, that I did set up a Google Voice account for that purpose and that uh, the audio quality was actually kind of shoddy. And I didn't know if it would be up to snuff. And on top of that, I don't think I ever received any messages, uh, but in fairness, I haven't checked in about a a month. So I might be putting the kibosh on that. Please let me know if you have left any messages, and I will go back and uh, take a listen. In the meantime, if some of you out there who happen to be more uh, Skype-savvy than I are listening, uh, feel free to do me a favor and let me know if you know the best way to set up a voicemail system with Skype. I imagine that must be, uh, possible somehow. And then if you guys want to leave, um, a voicemail through Skype, I'd be more than happy to, uh, include those as a part of the show. But anyway, all right, you guys know the usual drill. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter, like the show on Facebook. Feel free to, uh, you know, engage me or leave comments uh, via the Facebook page. You can check out the archives at Podbean. You can support the show through Podbean using the... uh, paypal widget or you can buy the uh brief history of saint patrick audio documentary through either uh, podbean or itunes you can listen to the show on stitcher also i often forget to mention that you can check out the weekend out youtube channel am i uh, missing anything oh yeah you can also support the show through patreon and if you do that you'll get access to to um, the St. Patrick audio documentary and you can stream it or download it. If you download it, you should get the embedded artwork that I created and uh, there should be more rewards uh, down the road um, regarding Patreon. And I feel bad for you guys, uh, not like, uh, I'm I'm sure you guys are crying because you haven't got access to my wonderful St. Patrick documentary, (laughs) but I feel bad for you guys who've donated to the show uh, through PayPal and that, um, you haven't gotten that, um, you know, that more polished, uh, version of the St. Patrick documentary with the album art I created, I was going to send it to you guys, but it's like 30 megabytes and probably wouldn't make it through the mail. So if you guys are interested in that, I don't know if maybe I should set up a Dropbox folder, maybe, or maybe the, some other means of, uh, file sharing. Uh, But anyway, if you guys have any advice about all this stuff, feel free to get in touch. You can get in touch through Twitter, Facebook, or uh, you can email me at theweekindoubt at gmail.com. Okay, thanks for listening, and until next week.